0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we have made it through yet another week in our rapidly devolving American landscape. Actually, I don't think it's quite that bad, but I mean, there is a lot of bad stuff going on. So I will go ahead and start with the beginning of the bad stuff, which is our unemployment numbers. For the week ending on August 18th, there was an additional 1.5 million new unemployment cases opened, which is a slight uptick from what we've had for the past couple of weeks. It had been hovering around 1.3%, so there is a bit of a bump on that week, which is something I've been worried about for a while now, the way it's starting to trend that we may have another wave of shutdowns. We may have another wave of lockdowns. We do have states going back into phase one reopenings and there's a whole bunch of arguments about that. But the unemployment rate is starting to tick up again a bit and that is worrisome, especially since as of right now, this recording, um, there is no more no more federal unemployment assistance. Um, this past week, the week that ended on July 25th, It was the last week of eligibility for that, and to the best of my knowledge, Congress has not taken up this issue. Um, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has said that there will not be another round of stimulus off of taxpayer money, which I don't know if he's including unemployment assistance in that too, but then again, it's Steve Mnuchin, who who knows. This administration just says what the fuck ever whenever they feel like it, but yeah, As it stands right now, no more federal unemployment assistance as of technically today, the 26th. So, yeah. I don't know what exactly is going to happen in August, but it does look like unemployment numbers are going to start going up again, which, as I've been pointing out, ever since this whole pandemic started, ever since the whole unemployment crisis started, like, this is not something that's under control. I mean, still having this many people filing new claims week over week that's that that's a really kind of undercovered story right now that I think is going to have massive ramifications over the next couple of months cuz like I said there's no more no more $600 a week that is officially done so everybody is basically just now on whatever state unemployment you have and whatever whatever kind of programs your particular state has. Like I said, it varies from state to state. So if you are on unemployment, you might want to check into that and see how much more eligibility you have. I know there's a lot of states that extended eligibility past what it was before. But yeah, things are about to get real bumpy out there. So yeah, that's our our first bit of bad news. Um... As far as the Portland situation is concerned, I'm um, not really going to talk a lot about that this episode, mainly because in the last weekly roundup I did, I gave my opinions on Portland and on federal intervention into Portland. My opinions have not changed. If anything, they have gotten stronger because, because this was never going to end with Portland. Y'all know that, right? Like, you you know, that was just a test case. And now we have this week announcements that the trump administration will be sending federal agents into both seattle and chicago definitely there's a couple of other cities that are kind of on a short list i don't know if they have federal agents in them yet but definitely seattle and chicago and they are not being sent under kind of the very thin excuse that was used in portland by saying oh they're protecting federal property No, these federal agents are being sent into these cities specifically to do law enforcement activities, not related to federal property. And just to point out, neither Seattle nor Chicago asked the federal government for assistance in doing their local policing, but they're getting it. And (laughs) the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, is kind of trying her best to make the best of what is about to be a very bad situation by kind of pitching it like, oh, they're just going to come here and help our local law enforcement do their due and they're going to take direction from them. And I'm just like, that's sweet. That's so sweet that you think that because that is not how this is going to happen. When federal agents roll into your town, they are not going to be there to take orders from the mayor Or from the police chief or whoever, they will be there to pursue their own agenda that is being handed to them by their boss. They don't care about what the city of Chicago or the mayor of Chicago wants them to do. They are going to do what they are told to do by the heads of their agencies. So, yeah, we are getting federal expansion into different cities, not for reasons of protecting federal property, which this was. This was always how it was going to be. This was always going to be the case. It it starts with these sorts of cities where people can point and be like, oh, well, look, it's it's Portland, it's Seattle, it's Chicago. They have policing problems. And oh, look, they have Democratic mayors and they've chosen different strategies of policing that involve de-escalation or non-intervention and blah, 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 blah. It's not the federal government's place to go in places where they're not invited to do things that nobody asked them to do. Nobody asked. Literally nobody. But here we are. And on the topic of Portland, and another reason why I'm not really covering it too deeply in this episode, is I do plan on sitting down with Nancy Rommelman later on this week. And she has been on the ground for the past week covering the protests in Portland and posting them up on Twitter and writing for reason on that. So I want to sit down and talk to her about it because, like I said, she's been on the ground. She was there. She saw it. She got tear-gassed. She got flashbanged, And talk to a lot of people. And so I feel like there is a more nuanced conversation to be had here because just like like any protest you go to in any city, I mean, you have people who are there to agitate. You have people that are there to destroy property. You have the people that are there to hurt people. And then you also have people that are there to legitimately protest. You have people that are there to document the protesters. You have people that are there to cover them In a journalistic fashion, you have legal observers from places like the ACLU to make sure that nobody's rights are being infringed upon. You have people like, like, like the, like, I think we call him Captain Portland now, but you guys have all seen the video of the Navy vet who just got wailed on by what turns out to be U.S. marshals. He broke his wrist and he was there not to protest, but basically to observe the protest just to see if... Things were how they were being presented, which I'm sure there's a lot of people who go to these protests. I've been to the protests in those sorts of fashions to just go and see exactly what there is to see. And you are starting to get a lot more, for lack of a better term, citizen journalism coming out of Portland. There's a lot of people who are going into Portland and documenting what they see on social media and they are writing pieces for outlets. So you're starting to get a little more of a complete picture of what the situation is like on the ground in Portland. I hope that continues. I hope to see more people kind of going there and covering it. I don't know of very many major news outlets that have really sent anybody there to do, like, sustained reporting. It seems like most of what I'm seeing, as far as people being there for a sustained amount of time, are people who are taking it upon themselves to do that, which is, that's awesome. I mean, I... I totally support citizen journalism. That's part of what I do. So yeah, hopefully we'll start to see more of that coming out. And like I said, we start to get more of a picture of what's going on. And I'm sure we're going to start seeing the same things coming out of Seattle and Chicago and every other city that the federal agents are going into. So yeah, fingers crossed on that. But moving on to more sort of immigration related news. Donald Trump signed an executive order this week saying that illegal aliens will not be counted on this year's census, which a couple of questions here. First off, there has been no framework put forth for how such a thing would even be possible, even if it was legal, which it's not, that's flagrantly unconstitutional, but Given that there is no citizenship question on the census, the Supreme Court ruled that that cannot be allowed. Well, technically, they didn't rule that it couldn't be allowed. They said that the Trump administration went about it in the incorrect fashion. And by the time that ruling came down, the Trump administration just didn't have a chance to take a second crack at it before having to release the census for people to start answering it. So how exactly one would be able to determine whether the person who filled out a particular census form was an illegal alien or not i don't know like you can't even really do it through social security numbers because there are plenty of people who are here in various legal statuses who don't have social security numbers because they're not full us citizens but they are here legally so you can't really do it like that so i'm i'm not, i'm baffled on that level, on the logistical level, because that's how my brain works. I think about the logistics of things. But the broader point is that, yes, it would be unconstitutional to do that, even if there was some logistical way to do it, because the Constitution is very clear about who gets counted in the census, and it is persons residing in the United States, not persons residing legally, not U.S. citizens, persons, like actual physical people. If you live In the United States, right now, you get counted on the census, no matter what your legal status is. So, there's no carve-outs in the Constitution for this. It clearly says persons. It does not say citizens. If they wanted it to say citizens, they could have put citizens. But they didn't. They put persons. So, it's just one of these things that... And if you've been here for a while, you know I typically cover immigration pretty thoroughly. And that is that this administration has since day one, like literally day one, done things with immigration that are not legal and that have been found to be not legal once they make their way through the courts. But it doesn't matter to them because the legality of it doesn't matter. They don't really care if what they're doing is strictly speaking legal or will hold up in a court of law. They just did what the fuck ever. And that's something that I I think a lot of people, because it is immigration and immigration is a particularly touchy topic, a lot of people tend to not look at the, the what that has been happening during the Trump administration on the topic of immigration and on how this administration has done things that are blatantly illegal in the terms of immigration policy and have found to be illegal, but it doesn't stop them. And- That's kind of like the canary in the coal mine, I think. And that's another reason why I do spend so much time covering it, is because now you're starting to see a lot of the things that were done with immigration are now starting to creep onto US soil and it's starting to creep into happening to people living in the United States, like sending federal agents into places to do whatever it is they're going to do nobody knows because they're not accountable to anybody and they sure as hell don't have to tell you or I what they're supposed to be doing and the Trump administration does not particularly care about the legalities of what it is they're doing they just do whatever the hell they feel like doing and then hopefully the court's unwind it but that takes time too. I mean that can take months to years to get a court order to say, okay, the thing that the Trump administration said to do is illegal, so stop doing that. And in the meantime, you have those weeks, months, some cases years. Like the the original Muslim ban, no actually, excuse me, Muslim ban 2.0 took years to make it through the court system. And so during all that time, these policies are being enacted. And doing damage. So it, it's just an example of how this administration will do whatever the hell it is it feels like doing despite the legalities of it. And it's now starting to affect U.S. citizens. It's not just immigrants now that have to deal with BorTAC. It's not just immigrants who have to deal with this administration doing things that may or may not be legal. Now it, now it's U.S. citizens. And so now, like, I'm, I'm happy and I'm here for everybody who is now like getting on board with paying attention to how this administration has kind of started and normalized certain behaviors. And it always starts with the most marginalized people in any society. Those are the people that get preyed on first. And then once it becomes normalized for them, then it starts moving on to the next tier up. And I point that out because that's also what I think was happening with the selection of the cities that... The Trump administration is sending federal agents into it's it is Portland. It's Seattle. It's Chicago. It's these cities that a lot of people kind of just look at like, oh, it's some kind of like lib hellhole, and they deserve what they get. Like, all right, if you want to say that about them, don't be surprised when the next city on the list is your city. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, whoa, what the fuck? What are you doing here? Like, well, you normalize them being somewhere else because you didn't particularly care about that place and you normalize them engaging in certain sorts of behaviors because you didn't care about those people. But now it's going to be you. And so that's why, I mean, aside from the obvious moral and philosophical reasons I have for covering immigration, that has been a big focus of why I do it. And I've pointed it out over the years that even if you don't care about immigration or immigrants, or you feel however it is you feel about border controls, legal immigration versus illegal immigration it's important to pay attention to what this government does to the most marginalized people because that day will come for you too. And so if you do not want something happening to you, you need to oppose it when it is happening to somebody who is not you. And I'm afraid that that day is starting to come. And like I said, I'm happy for everybody getting on board here. I'm happy for everybody starting to realize that DHS is an absolute, absolute shit show total clusterfuck. It's been that way for years. Those of us who cover immigration know it. But hey, welcome to the party. Sit down. Let us tell you about how bad DHS is. Let us tell you about ICE. Let us tell you about CPB. Let us tell you about BORTAC. These are awful people. We've known this and now you're learning it. So anyway, moving on from that particular rant to another immigration related rant, and that is on DACA. Now, The Supreme Court ruled that DACA does have to stay in effect, mainly for the same reasons that they ruled on the the citizenship question on the census. Not saying that the Trump administration can't rescind DACA, but that they did it incorrectly. And so now there's kind of this almost two-pronged, I say two-pronged because I'm assuming eventually they are going to take another legal crack at rescinding DACA, like they're going to basically back up and try again. But what they're doing in the meantime is trying to find a way to not have to accept new applications to the program, which is directly contravening what the Supreme Court told them to do. And also a lower court ruled on this that, yes, you do have to start accepting these applications like the the program is in place. You have to let people apply. So basically, the Trump administration is trying to gin up some kind of reason why they shouldn't have to process these applications. Whether this is going to work out legally for them, I don't know. It's kind of in a bit of a limbo right now, but they're trying it. They're really trying it. And I still think that at the end of the day, I think the excuse that's going to come out of the Trump administration as to why they cannot process these DACA applications is because USCIS is basically shut down right now. Because everybody's furloughed because there's no money, which apparently there seems to be a controversy about that too, because it seems like people have done some more reporting and that apparently USCIS has a bit more in the bank than advertised. So there's a lot of people questioning the furloughing of 13,000 employees that work for USCIS, which is the Customs and Immigration Service, which is, for those of you not familiar, basically the paperwork arm of the immigration system in this country. They're the ones that process visa applications, DACA applications, basically anything paperwork-wise goes through USCIS. So with them being shut down, basically the immigration system is at a standstill. Like there's just, nothing can be processed. So I think that will ultimately be the excuse that they land on, but they are still trying, again, one way or another, to do what it is that they want to do legality of it be damned. Which is mind-blowing when you think about it. Like, the Supreme Court told the Trump administration, yes, this program is staying in place. Yes, you still have to administer this program. And they're just still not going to do it. They're just like, nope, sorry, not doing it. Gonna find an excuse. And it's like, the the expansion of executive powers certainly did not start with the Trump administration. I mean, this goes back decades. But The blatant use of it, of the executive branch basically telling the legislative and judicial branch basically to fuck off, that we're going to do what we want and there's nothing you can say about it, should worry everybody. And like I said, I know this is an immigration-based issue and everybody feels how they feel, but the facts of the matter still remain that the executive branch is basically telling the judicial branch right now to get stuffed, that we are not going to abide... By your rulings, we are going to do what we want, and we're going to try to figure out some way to do it, despite being told that we we have to do this, but they're going to figure out some kind of way to get around it. Like, it's just, it's, it's wild. And it's that kind of attitude that, like I said, it's existed in the executive branch for decades. I'm not going to blame this all on Trump. But the acceleration of it, and kind of the brashness of it, has accelerated under the Trump administration, and that is something that I'm afraid, again, going back to the Portland situation, going back to the federal agent situation, this is an attitude that is going to start being displayed in ways that are going to affect U.S. citizens in ways that they are not going to like. So, again, still something to keep an eye on, even just for the sake of finding out if the executive branch does actually have to obey, or at least go along with, what the judicial branch has dictated for them to do, or if the executive branch can just get away with doing whatever the hell they want. And then, in that case, we've got a huge, huge problem here, guys. Um separation of powers is not supposed to work like that. There's supposed to be three co-equal branches of government, not one branch that gets to tell the other two branches basically take a long walk off a short pier if one of those two branches tells the executive branch to do something that it doesn't particularly want to do. But moving on from that particular topic onto something kind of keeping with the theme of doing something that they probably didn't really want to do. Um, the RNC has actually officially canceled the in-person convention that they were going to have in Jacksonville, originally, Charlotte. But yeah, um, Trump announced that it was canceled and because it's not, it's just not good timing, you know, it's just not good timing right now. The The funny thing about this is though, that there's not been anything announced as to what will replace it. <laughs> Trump said something, I, I forget exactly what the verbiage is, but, but basically along the lines of, eh, hey, we'll, we'll figure out something. It'll be real nice. We'll just, we'll, we'll figure it out, which that's kind of not how political conventions work. If you remember when I was covering and also writing about the LP convention, specifically the online portion of it, yeah, there was a lot of planning that went on in the background to make that happen. And there was a lot of arguments and a lot of discussions and a lot of decisions that had to be made. But at this point, I'm not entirely sure how the RNC is going to take place other than it is not going to happen in a physical location in any state. So, And this is something that they had fought for a long time. Like I said, it was originally, I believe it was originally in Charlotte and then COVID restrictions kind of put the kibosh on that. So they moved it down to Jacksonville, where obviously I guess Florida is where everybody's having their political conventions now, but they obviously have canceled that. I don't really, outside of what Trump said, I've not really seen a statement as to what prompted that but there has been a bit of a shift going on in the White House as to messaging on COVID and I well you know I don't know if this is related but I it's started ever since Brad Parscale who was the campaign manager up until about a week and a half two weeks ago and was also the campaign manager for the 2016 campaign, got demoted. And ever since then, there's been a bit of a shift on COVID messaging coming out of the White House. We did get that famous picture of Trump going to Walter Reed while wearing a mask. And now there's starting to be kind of this more cautious approach to things. And I think that canceling the convention might be part of this new messaging strategy to show that, yes, Republicans are taking COVID seriously now, I guess. I don't know. You're starting to see a little bit more push from Trump on, you should wear the mask, and look, I'm wearing the mask, and it's, wearing the mask is patriotic, and since I am the most patriotic person in the country, and I'm wearing a mask, then clearly you should probably be wearing a mask too, because you want to be patriotic, right? You want to be patriotic, like me, Trump, your favorite president. So, it's it's interesting to see the shift. And so, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. I'm not entirely sure about how this would operate. I'm not sure about, like, RNC bylaws and stuff like that as to what exactly has to take place at their convention in order for the nomination of Trump to be considered legal and, like, above board and, and according to the bylaws of the RNC. So... I mean, I'm assuming that there still has to be like a delegate count. I'm assuming there still has to be party business that has to get handled. So how that's going to happen, I'm not entirely sure. That ought to be rather interesting. Um, To the best of my knowledge, the DNC is still going with a hybrid sort of situation, but they push theirs back to the end of August too, so... They might end up completely canceling their in-person convention too. Like I said, I'm not sure about the bylaws on the DNC either. It's, I know about the LP because I'm a libertarian and I just know these things. But it'll be interesting. I wonder, could you imagine like an RNC convention on like a Zoom call? Like that's just, that's gonna be a lot of old people on a Zoom call. I don't know if that's gonna work. Um, I did see that Trump or at least the Trump campaign, is trying to trademark the word tele-rally. Which, this is going to be the most boomer shit ever. (laughs) Tele-rally? We don't do this over the phone anymore, people. We do this online. We do this on Zoom and Google Hangouts and Skype. Like, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what they're going to do, other than not be in Jacksonville. So, moving on to the last story that I want to cover, because this is kind of interesting, and this goes back to a story that I covered pretty extensively when it was happening. And that is the Covington Catholic story, which I'm sure you'll remember from like 15 years ago. Actually, I think it was about this time last year, which time has always been a flat circle for me anyway, and it's just gotten increasingly more so. But my God, this feels like it was five years ago, but it wasn't. Anyway, we're starting to see the results of some of the lawsuits that the teenager in question Nick Sandman, whom I'm i am sure I'm butchering his last name because I butcher everybody's last name. But originally there was one, and I think I talked about this when it happened, um, CNN settled with him on their lawsuit. Um, this week it came out that Washington Post also settled with him on the lawsuit. Um, numbers have not been made public. I don't know if they'll ever be made public, but apparently there are numbers involved. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to make about this. I mean... Obviously, what happened was absolutely beyond the pale fucking ridiculous. Like, that's just, I, ooh, yeah, that was just nuts. That was absolutely just batshit crazy. I'm not sure whether suing news outlets over it is, I mean, they're libel suits. And I'm not entirely sure if they would have won in a court of law. Like I said, there's there's a lot of reasons why people will settle lawsuits, not necessarily as an admission of guilt, but basically just, okay, here we go. We'll give you this many dollars, please go away. Which is what I think is happening because I'm not entirely sure if this kid would win if one of these cases went to court. The the second problem I have with this is a lot of what happened with that story was social media generated like it started on social media it got spun up on social media a lot of the nastiness associated with it came from social media and the news covering it i mean it became such a huge story that they kind of couldn't you know it was one of those might really be like the first one that i can think of really really like nationwide story that broke that happened because of things happening on twitter like, it really, it was a social media controversy that just blew up so much that news outlets really had no choice but to cover it. And I don't, I can't think of another story pre-Covington where that happened. But of course, obviously, post-Covington, that's almost like that some people's whole beat is covering shit that happens on Twitter, okay? It's people who get paid to do that now. But that's just how much the media landscape has changed in, in even just the past year. The kind of things that get covered in mainstream media now that before, I mean, no news outlet would care about what like 10 random ass people said on Twitter, but now there's whole news stories based around what 10 random ass people said on Twitter. Like it's nuts, but I I think he still has some lawsuits outstanding. We shall see what happens with those. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting because that kind of cropped back up into the news cycle today and it seems that he is making money off of this. He's getting paid. How much? I don't know. I would love to know because the, I remember the CNN suit was for $250 million. I want to say the Washington Post suit was in the same price range and I'm, I'm sure he did not get $250 million from either one of these organizations, but it would be interesting to know what he did get because this is, this is kind of uncharted territory, especially with social media being so prevalent now. Like, Where, where is the line drawn now? Like what, what liability do news outlets have in covering stories where a shit just gets blown out of proportion and gets taken completely out of context? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's a brave new world out there for journalism. (laughs) In many ways, it's a brave new world out there for journalism. So I'll keep an eye on that just to see what happens or to see if any numbers do leak. But I think this is going to end up being one of those situations where it seems stupid now. But maybe looking back in, say, five years, we're going to look back to that story as being the one that really changed how journalists and journalistic outlets handle certain stories and certain information I think this will end up being consequential eventually, even though, like I said, right now it seems like kind of stupid. I mean, I'm sure nobody's thought about this story in like ages because my God, the world is just completely melted down since that happened. And we thought the world was melting down when that happened. So it's just an example that things can always get worse, but Anyway, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because I think I've pretty much covered everything. And like I said, I'll be sitting down with Nancy Rommelman later on in the week to do a more of a deep dive on what's going on in Portland and kind of what this kind of portends for other cities where federal agents are either going in or thinking about going in. So stay tuned for that. But At this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.